This week on Worldview, does mission evacuation mean India is out of Afghanistan? And what will Taliban rule really mean for the country and for the world? Hello and welcome. You're with Worldview. Uh, here at The Hindu, I'm Sohasini Heather. Now, in the space of just a week, Taliban fighters went from being terrorist insurgents to taking control of Kabul. Former Afghanistan President Ashraf Ghani fled the country. So have many in his cabinet. India then closed down its Kabul embassy, at least for the moment, bringing back 192 personnel and, uh, and security personnel and staff. U.S. and other NATO embassies have for the moment relocated to the Kabul International Airport, where a massive evacuation effort is underway for Afghans desperate to leave. At a rare and unprecedented uh, press conference, Taliban representatives spoke to the media, but they said they rejected democracy and they would rule by Sharia law. Uh, they also promised that all diplomats would be safe. They offered an amnesty to government officials, agreed that women could work. But on the ground, especially outside Kabul, stories of brutal repressions, actions against women, uh, identification and execution of, uh, uh, of uh, people identified as Afghan officials and military officers are also coming in. Very disturbing report. So let's get you the latest and what we need to look at to understand what's going on in Afghanistan. The first part is talks about the formation of the future government are now underway. Now those talks are happening in many capitals uh, in within the Taliban to begin with uh, between its leader Hebatullah Khunzada and his deputy leaders uh, Abdul Ghani Baradar, who's uh, the face of the Taliban so far, Sirajuddin Haqqani, uh, a, a brutal terrorist, head of the Haqqani network. Mohammad Yaqub, also a deputy, is a son of the Taliban founder, who was known as Mullah Omar, and he is the military commander as well. Now, there in Doha, there are talks still underway between Taliban's political office and various international envoys. We understand that the US, Russia, China... Uh, and the UK are still very much in touch. Then in Kabul, uh, leaders including Baradar and Anas Haqqani, Sirajuddin's brother, were meeting with the coordinating council. This is the group of Afghan leaders who actually stayed back in Kabul. So uh, former President Hamid Karzai, the High Council of National Reconciliation Chief Abdullah Abdullah, and um, the head of the Hizb-e-Islami or the National Renaissance Front, as it's called now, Gulbuddin Hekmatyar. Now, there's also been movement amongst those who say they will not accept the Taliban. Of course, former President uh, Ghani has traveled to Oman and the UAE. He said uh, in a statement that he had to leave to avoid bloodshed in Kabul. And so, therefore, the silent, uh, almost peaceful takeover by the Taliban. But former Vice President Amarullah Saleh says he will never accept Taliban rule. He's announced a resistance force from the Panjshir Valley. He's there along with the son of the former Northern Alliance leader, Ahmed Shah Massoud, um, as well as we understand from some reports that General Rashid Dostam and Mohammad Atanur, uh, two warlords, as they were called, who had actually taken part in a fierce fight with the Taliban for Mazar-e-Sharif, eventually they lost and left. Um, they are also there as a part of this resistance force. Now, away from those uh, forces, the Taliban has not faced any violent protests on the streets or from the people, 
But what we have seen is many silent protests and other kinds of protests in cities where people are calling for the Taliban to respect their rights, to respect the Afghan national flag in particular. That became a big campaign and to prove that they will not be the same brutal force they were 20 years ago. Now, in the coming weeks, we will know whether Afghanistan will be ruled a by a Taliban council or um, a, a transitional council uh, that includes other leaders and might be more acceptable internationally? Or will it lead to a chaotic scenario there with more fighting, a lot of fighting that Afghans have seen over the decades? So the second question of what's going on right now is how has the international community reacted to the Taliban takeover? To begin with, the West, the US, uh, e, uh, the EU countries, as well as NATO countries in particular, uh, have said they've been taken by surprise. The U.S. has now made it its mission to evacuate as many Afghans who worked with the U.S. and are at risk as possible under a special immigrant visa, which has about 35,000 slots. But that's only about half of uh, the people who actually worked with the U.S. in various roles, and only about 8,000 of those have been processed or flown out thus far. Uh, Mr. Biden is certainly under fire domestically, both for abandoning Afghans to their fate, but also for the a possibly premature decision to pull out all troops and in particular to pull out of Bagram base, which was the U.S.'s biggest base in the region. Now, other Western countries are also like the U.S. carrying out evacuations. But what is really significant is that the U.S. State Department, the British Foreign Office and others are maintaining that they have diplomatic missions in Kabul. It's just that they've relocated them to the from the city to the airport uh, but they're leaving that door open for diplomatic representation. Uh, now, other countries, Pakistan, China, Russia, and Iran continue to maintain embassies in the city. Uh, while none of these countries have formally extended any recognition to the Taliban, their presence there certainly extends, uh, uh, certainly indicates that they are open to it and they have a more positive frame towards a possible Taliban regime. Turkey, some Central Asian countries too have made positive sounds, but really much will depend on what the larger international community will do once a government is put in place. And so we've seen some backtracking happen from China, from Russia, who had earlier sounded very positive about the Taliban, now saying they will wait and watch really to see what kind of government comes there. Uh, then there is the United Nations. Uh, it has asked for a unified approach from the world. The UN chief has said that the Taliban's desire for recognition is in fact the UN Security Council's only leverage uh, to press for inclusive government, respect for rights for women in Afghanistan. Remember, External Affairs Minister uh, S.J. Shankar actually spent the entire week in the, at the UN. Uh, he was part of two important meetings, but uh, apart from the UNSC, he was also part of uh, discussions with other countries on what is happening in Afghanistan. Now, the UN itself has evacuated some of its personnel to Kazakhstan, but largely its agencies remain in place. And I'll come back to that in just a bit. But really, the disappointment has that is that neither the UN nor the UN Security Council in that meeting chaired by uh, external affairs minister actually have put out statements uh, that carry much bite. They advise and warn the Taliban to adopt international standards of behavior. But really, we've not seen any actions uh, being advised or uh, some actions that could be followed. So the third question of what we need to know about right now 
is where does India stand in all of this? India is, of course, a country, and we've said this over many worldview editions in the past as well. India has built its name in Afghanistan over the past 20 years as a strategic partner uh, through infrastructure projects worth $3 billion, but really worth a lot more to the country, through building the parliament and assisting elections, building democracy in a sense, and educating and training thousands of Afghan youth, the next generation. Today, however, India has no mission in the country. Remember, they shut down all four consulates as well as the Kabul embassy. No personnel. Uh, and the government has not given any clarity yet on how it will approach the new regime in Afghanistan. And hundreds of Afghans have applied for visas to come to India, but it is significant that none of Afghanistan's top generals or leaders have sought asylum here. So India could just sit it out, wait for the dust to settle, and then decide its position. But its choices, if it wishes to remain, uh, to have a greater hold of events in the neighborhood, uh, are actually a few. Uh, and let's just list those out for you. India could rally the United Nations, push for a stronger UN role. Uh, the mandate of the UNAMA mission really comes up for renewal in September. This is the UN agency's role. The future of international engagement must be reviewed, and India is a member of the UN Security Council. Not just that, India is still the chair of the Taliban Sanctions Committee. And remember, with most of the Taliban leaders in play today uh, being on that sanctions list of the UN, India's role is important. The second, uh, India is already, in fact, coordinating closely with the US and the Western embassies about whether to engage or work with the new regime and what are the factors that will uh, come into play over there, whether it's uh, working on uh, ensuring the government doesn't have links with terror groups or representation of Afghans or women's rights, treatment of minorities. Uh, now, some, in fact, many diplomats have questioned the government's uh, decision to fully evacuate from Afghanistan and asked whether the Modi government should have, in fact, negotiated with these very powers for some kind of a diplomatic outpost at the Kabul airport and maintain a small core presence in Afghanistan. The third, India could open channels to those who are in communication with the new Taliban regime, like Russia, China, as well as leaders like Karzai and Abdullah, who have lived here in the past, in order to ensure its interests are taken into account as the new government is formed. Fourth, in fact, on the other hand, India could actually uh, work with um, uh, with the groups that are part of the resistance. India has in the past only worked with the Northern Alliance uh, against the Taliban. Uh, the question is whether that is a viable option this time. And finally, India could open its doors for refugees, particularly women and minorities. Make a real point over there that it is open to everyone, particularly the persecuted, like those Islamic tribes, like the Hazaras, who have been writing in uh, asking for visas. Now, this would also involve extending the visas and stipends for all Afghan students in India, helping them and military cadets who are training in India to bring their families over. This can only happen if the Modi government announces a liberalized visa policy and decides to demonstrate India's large heart. That has um, been shown in the past as well. As we had said last week, the first priority is to evacuate all Indians at risk from the Taliban, from terror groups that may proliferate now, and from their backers in Pakistan's establishment, most notably the ISI. To that end, the Modi government has sent C-17s to bring back all personnel. Now an MEA special cell is working on bringing back about 
450 uh, Indians still stranded there. There may be more bankers, teachers, uh, engineers and others. But the larger question remains, with no formal presence in the state, does India still have a stake or even a say in Afghanistan's future? That's the question we're going to track for you on future editions of Worldview. I'm going to give you some book recommendations. And remember last week as well, we had given some. So I'm going to follow up with book recommendations for books that are coming out in the next uh, few weeks to start with. Uh, uh, the Long War, The Inside Story of America and Afghanistan Since 9-11 is a book by journalist David Loin. Uh, it's certainly worth watching out for. It will be out in October. Then there's The Afghanistan File coming out in September by, by Saudi Prince. Turki uh, Al-Faisal Al-Saud and Michael Field. Remember, uh, Prince Turki Al-Faisal Al-Saud was the intelligence chief in, in the country. Then there is a book coming out from Craig Whitlock. He is the, uh, from the Washington Post uh, called The Afghanistan Papers, A Secret History of the War. And it sounds very much like the Pentagon Papers and what happened with Vietnam. Now, for those of you who want to look back a little bit, there are some authors who are known uh, experts on the Taliban. Ahmad Rashid, of course, who wrote in 2001, The Taliban, uh, the story of Afghan's warlords, has also written Militant Islam, Oil and Fundamentalism in Central Asia about the Taliban. That was about 10 years ago. Uh, there's also The Taliban at War from 2001 to 2018, a book by an author called Antonio Giustozzi. I would recommend this book and anything else that you can lay your hands on written uh, by the author. And finally, for those of you who would like to know more about the Northern Alliance, there's no better way to start than looking at the life of Ahmad Shah Massoud himself, who was assassinated just before the 9-11 attacks. It's called Massoud, an intimate portrait of the legendary Afghan leader by Marcella Grad. Now, those are just some of the book recommendations. Do write in and tell us how much you enjoyed them or if you did. But that's all we have time for here on Worldview. From the team here, please do join us again. And thanks for watching.